It's the John Curley and Sherry Elliker Show. Greg Tomlin is in for John. He'll be back on Monday. And everybody, I guess, knows this or they've noticed it. But the graffiti problem in Seattle is kind of out of control. Complaints have grown over 50% since 2019. And they've had uh, probably about 20,000 graffiti and tag, you know, tagging things in t- in 2021 that they've had to remove or had to spend money on, uh, you know, covering up and all of that. Bruce Harrell, Greg, says that he wants to recruit and hire some graffiti artists to replace this graffiti with, quote unquote, better pr- graffiti in high profile <laughs> areas. I'm sorry. What is better graffiti? Yeah, I noticed in this story that they highlight a graffiti artist who apparently put a big Star Wars mural over this long wall that stretched, you know, hundreds of feet. He didn't have the permission of the uh, property owner to do it. But it's curious to me that they highlight that person and not the other graffiti in the area that I find to be the three P's, prevalent, pervasive, and pernicious. Uh, I'm a big windows theory advocate. Have you heard about that, Sherry? Broken windows? Yeah, the broken yes. windows theory. Yes, uh-huh. and sure. And it basically posited that you know the more broken windows you see, it means there's signs of disorder in your neighborhood encourage petty crimes and lead to more serious crimes. I think that's absolutely proven to be true, especially in Seattle. I was thinking about this on a personal level, not just with graffiti, but just crime in general. Here at the radio station, uh, we have two-hour parking all around the building, and I've worked here for over 15 years. And so a lot of times... There's not a lot of parking. And so if you find a two-hour spot, I would need to make sure to go move my car constantly because the parking meter person would constantly be surveying the area and wanting to give tickets out. And I would say at least one, once a month, I got slapped a $55 ticket because I had overstayed the zone by like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know what I've noticed recently? No tickets anymore. And... In some ways, I celebrate that because it's not hitting my pocketbook. And then I reflected on that a little longer, and I thought, that's actually a sign of a broader trend, which is crimes or lawlessness, whether small or large, is just not being enforced like it used to be. And that's generally a bad thing. And I think the same rule applies to graffiti. Uh, Gary Horker talked to at least one graffiti artist, and he has a report on where this is kind of going. To find out what's behind the explosion. It is like any other art. And what it all means. Not everybody knows how to read this. You can read it right away. I can read it right away. We asked the artist who's widely regarded as the most influential figure in the local underground culture of graffiti. My name's Sire One. I'm the first Sire. Like most graffiti writers, Sire One avoids revealing his real name. He calls himself a graffiti elder. And you see, you got the stylized D. And for us, a translator. Here's a, an E. Welcome back. If you look at the beginning of the old TV show, Welcome Back, Cotter, and the subway train goes by at the beginning, somebody got what what in hip-hop culture is called fame off of that. Sire One's big urban art projects like this one are typically done without the building owner's permission 
by his eight-person crew. This is a really clean tag, too sick. But he says a lot of what we're seeing out there is a tool of resistance. The tagging that you see is saying, look, we've got a lot of problems going on right now. He believes what appear to be blossoms of urban blight are fertilized by the chaos and the crime in the community. Why are we seeing such an uptick in graffiti? It's two things. It's the pandemic and George Floyd getting killed. He explained as businesses were boarded up, police were under historic scrutiny. A reduced police presence meant graffiti writers had more opportunities than ever in a time of social upheaval. People got comfortable with the notion of just painting anything anywhere they want. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot wrong with all of that. Yes, where to start? First all, right. First of all, welcome back, Cotter. Okay, show of welcome hands of the people. back. Sorry, I just love that. That's a hot jam. Go ahead. It is, but how many people in the graffiti world or whatever even know what he's talking about? He doesn't have a more <laughs> right. relevant uh, example of that. And I, I mean, I don't really, I, I, I understand where people believe that graffiti is an art form. I, I don't think of it that way. I mean, I hate <laughs> to admit it, um, that I think of it d- depending on where it is and what it is. Um, it's just vandalism in a way. Um, but let's hear what Mayor, Mayor Harrell has to say about it. What is his solution? What does he think we should do about this? I'm not trying to criminalize young people that have artistic talent that are looking for canvas. The mayor says he's trying to break the cycle of graffiti abatement and prosecution by giving talented artists a new platform, fighting graffiti in high visibility places with better art. You would commission graffiti artists to do work for the city? That's part of our plan. I will hire them if we can and find them canvases. Ideally, we'd like to do the Ballard Bridge again. Sire One is working to be part of that change with the city's new initiative for spatial justice through street art. We're going to actually kind of be able to test and see. We believe it's possible to do stuff like this. But will graffiti writers be convinced to make that cultural change, to take graffiti out of the shadows and work with the city making more permanent art instead of covering up endless cycles of crime in more gray paint. Ideally, more people say, you know what, I can do more than my name. Let me try to get some messages out. D- did I just hear the term spatial justice? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's you. what my li- my wife looks for when I try to cuddle her on the couch at night. Give me my <laughs> spatial justice. Uh, sorry. And you, to that you say, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, look, the, to me, this is not complicated, Sherry. Graffiti around King County is a visual representation of the chaos, disorder, and lawlessness that is going on uh, everywhere. I think there's one exception to that rule, and I've been convinced about this fact that I think you could say graffiti in Eastern Europe or East Germany, so-called, was a different expression. That sort of entailed a, a dissatisfaction and an anger or putting a finger in the eye of the iron fist or repressive communist rule and graffiti was one of their outlets to sort of express that frustration but around seattle in 2023 it amounts to an expression of nonsense more than not i'm not talking about these people who are just make these incredible murals and all that but but don't do it on somebody else's property okay um because 
the tags that I see all around Seattle, and yes, tags and just scribbling, it, it's akin to like gibberish on, on a bathroom stall wall at, at a rest stop or something. Well, I what I don't completely understand is, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder, right? Or beauty is. So who's going to make the decision as to what is better graffiti? I mean, it's a Ah. little subjective there. So what are you planning to do, Mayor Harrell? I mean, are you going to, uh, for spatial justice purposes, take a vote? And is that okay? Is that appropriate? Is that enough of a statement? I, I, I don't know where I know that in Baltimore where I used to live there was graffiti everywhere mm-hmm. and it was really unattractive and it just ruined you know you just drive someplace and there were really boarded up houses and really thing and then the graffiti just made it even more depressing and and it just it was awful uh there were pretty murals on the sides of buildings that people painted and that that's different you know that's something that someone uh commissioned planned out whatever i i guess that's what he's saying he's planning on doing but it's still if you're right if they're putting it on buildings that they don't want that and they illegally are doing that that's breaking the law and I don't it's care just, how pretty it is. It comes across to me as just another potential Band-Aid on a hemorrhaging wound. <laughs> it, it doesn't get to the essence or the, the core of the problem here. No, it, it certainly doesn't. Uh, moving on, let's talk about a story that was big yesterday, um, and I want to hear your take on this. Um, President Biden... Uh, got upset with Marjorie Taylor Greene, as he often does. And uh, the story goes that that there was a, a, a woman who lost two of her sons to a fentanyl overdose. They took Percocet or thought it was Percocet and it was laced with fentanyl. They both died. This was back in 2020. She blamed the the um, the drugs coming in from the border saying that, you know, this is this is becoming a, a horrible problem and Biden's doing nothing about uh, border control. Marjorie Taylor Greene did not notice the dates on this, so uh, she was very critical of Biden and his policies and said, you know, this is she laid it at his feet, saying the reason these two kids are dead are because of your policies. Well, Biden was speaking at a Democratic event, and here's what he had to say. A little bit of more Marjorie Taylor Greene and a few more. You're going to have a lot of Republicans running our way. Isn't she amazing? <laughs> Oof. I was the reason she was she was very specific. I shouldn't digress probably. But she, she, I've read she she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is. That fentanyl they took came during the last administration. <laughs> Look, folks. Anyway, I don't want to get started. Anyway. So it's that little chuckle at the end there that got him into the most trouble. Do I understand that right, Cherry? Got into a lot of trouble. A lot of people <laughs> really were sort of outraged at that and felt that the, this was no lighthearted subject. Um, his press secretary, Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre uh, got upset at a Fox reporter who asked her about that during a press conference. Let's hear what she says. Um, the mother's demanding an apology, and I'm wondering if he regretted how that came out. So, you know, I want to be very 
careful here because this involves uh, a mom, as you just stated, who lost two sons. And when it comes to this president, I believe the American people knows who he is fundamentally because he's been around for some time. And they have watched him go through grief. They have watched him deal with really personal loss. And um, so this is a president that understands that. Uh, he expressed sympathy for her last night, um, and uh, his heart goes out to uh, any person, any person who has to go through that type of uh, trauma, that type of hurt. Uh, I will say uh, his words are, are being mischaracterized uh, by, uh, by someone who is regularly discredited um, for, uh, for things that she says that are really conspiracy theories. Okay, so my question to you, Greg Tomlin, do you think it would be wise for the president to apologize to this mom? Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up her perspective specifically as this reporter did because the way I relate to the story is completely different than this mother who is suffering this unbelievable grief over losing two, not one, but two sons to uh, a fentanyl overdose. So it might be warranted, but from an outsider's perspective, looking in, look, I think it's wrong for MTG to blame Biden. And I think conversely, it's wrong for Biden to want to dunk on the previous administration for this so-called happening under Trump's watch. Given the nature of the topic, I would have cautioned against that. And there was a little inappropriate chuckle there. I think more generally what discourages me here with this story is I don't want to see this crisis, and that's what it is, with these overdose deaths totaling over 100,000 a year, which is an unimaginable number. I don't want to see this issue turned into another political football for both sides. This should be a bipartisan effort. And if we start to see more of this where it's just another left-right issue, that almost all but guarantees this problem is going to stay with us for the long term. We have to find some way to come together left and right uh, to address this um, because I think it's one of the top three issues facing the country right now. It's it's terribly, terribly tragic. And the people that have lost children, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, all all of that, um, you know, the, the pain that they must be in is extraordinary. All of this, you know, so unnecessary, 100,000 deaths. If I were in a position to advise the president, I would say, call that mother, understand that she is, you know, deeply, deeply troubled uh, by the deaths of her sons and apologize and say, I, I don't want you to misunderstand, you know, what right. I what I said. It would win him points across the board, I think. I don't think it would be admitting or being, um, you know, establishing any kind of blame, like, oh, I did this wrong, so I'm apologizing uh, for laughing. It would just be clarifying that she, he would never laugh at something like that. He, too, has lost a son, and he, too, has a son that has been an addict. So I, I don't think it would hurt at all for him to call the woman, and he'd win her over, and I think it would it would smooth over things. But um, he's probably not going to do that. Well said. I think you should be an advisor. Good <laughs> advice. I'll, uh, I won't see you Monday, then, because that's, the, uh, that's the job I'm taking. Okay.
listening to the John Curley and Sherry Elliker Show. Thanks so much for being with us here on a Friday. Uh, John's out today. He'll be back on Monday. Greg Tomlin is sitting in with him. We would love to hear from you. It is still time. There is still time for you to be the letter of the day. All you have to do, send us a text. Uh, with the uh, state roofing text line, one eight 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 nine seven three five four seven six, or you can go to mynorthwest.com. And, yes, we are going to let the teeny tiny lady pick the letter, much to my chagrin, but we will do that today. Um, Greg, are you a renter, a homeowner, or what, uh, what, what's your situation in terms of where you live? I'm a homeowner, but I have been a renter uh, previously. So, so I've had experience with both. Okay, so I am a landlord, and um, there's a new thing that has come out. This is a sort of a, a TikTok, not really a trend, but it's something that people have noticed and have watched, and it sparked a lot of kind of feigned outrage. Uh, let's take a listen to what two real estate agents, they're influencers on TikTok, and they have an idea for tenants, what they should be doing for their landlords. Let's take a listen. All right, thanks for paying your rent this month. Go ahead and sign here. It's just going to ask you a couple of questions. A tip? I'm not tipping my landlord. So you'll tip a barista who pours overpriced coffee into a cup, but not the guy who's on call 24-7 to make sure you have a safe home? I'm not tipping you. This isn't a restaurant. Okay, so you'll tip an extra 25% for somebody to carry you a basket of chicken wings, but you won't tip someone who responds for after-hours emergency calls? I, uh... Yep. Well, I guess when it's time for your lease renewal, I'm going to make sure gratuity is included in your rent. It's a little tip I learned from two guys take on real estate. This sounds like satire. <laughs> I mean, really? Maybe maybe from the guy responding, I'm not going to give you a tip. <laughs> yeah. Um, but are these realtors really advocating that this is a plausible thing and a, a well-reasoned thing to do is to tip your realtors? Or are they just joking about a tipping culture that seems completely out of control right now? I don't think they're they're commenting on the tipping culture. I think what they're doing is they're trying to point out to people that landlords, well, good ones, uh, can really go the extra mile and that you need to consider what they're willing to do and how much they can help you and they can make your life easier. Here's what or- they forget to mention, Sherry. When you tip on a cup of coffee, it's about a buck. If you tip a realtor after a real estate deal, and we're talking 10% on, what, a million-dollar home or something like that? I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Well, it would be your landlord. So, like, we have another house that we rent out, and I think that I, – I don't remember what the – um, I think it's like three – we charge like $3,000 a month or $3,500 a month. Okay. So I don't know what the – Three hundred bucks? Is it is it ten percent? I mean, if we're really good, is it twenty percent? Uh, do they tip on the tax? I mean, it's no, it's a joke, um, and I think it's it is sort of uh, a little bit of a comment on the fact that now tipping has become, in a lot of people's opinions, uh, way out of control. Did you know that you should tip when you get, when you make a hotel reservation and you go to check in? That you're supposed to tip the reservationist or the person that's, che- no, that's checking you in? Yeah. No. Yep. They accept tips. Okay, who is writing these rules? <laughs> and where, where can I find them online? Who People says I'm supposed hotels. to? <laughs> who is the ultimate arbiter here? Right. So uh, places where you never 
would think to tip are now are sort of requiring uh, tips. I think I'm a good tipper, um, mostly because I don't know how to do math. So I'm mm-hmm. so bad <laughs> at figuring out 20% and don't tip on the tax and all, I, uh, whatever. Uh, it's just too much. So uh, unless, of course, they do the math for you, which is becoming much more popular, where they hand you the screen and then you. Now, on uh, last week, I went to a restaurant and I paid the check and the guy handed me the little iPad. Sure. And then walked away. Oh, interesting. He didn't stand over me. He like just walked away, and I could tip whatever. Okay, but I, here's I my pet it. peeve: is okay. the tipping options start at twenty percent now, and it goes from twenty to twenty-two to twenty-five. In some instances, thirty percent, and then there's that really little rectangle at the bottom that says no tip. I was always a fifteen percent tipper back in the day until this got completely out of control. And so I resent the fact that 20% is the starting percentage because it was always a gesture meant to signify your gratitude for service that went above and beyond. And now it's more of just a given, so much so that ABC News even just ran a story about this two weeks ago. is an American tradition. It's getting a renewed level of attention and scrutiny as prices go up and more services outside of traditional restaurants are customers if they'd like to toss in a few bucks extra. Some people are starting to feel what's been labeled as tipping fatigue. I think post-pandemic and with the uh, addition of payment screens and seeing inflated tip suggestions, people are really uncertain about what to do out there. I go to the Pagliacci every once in a while, just up, up the street on Capitol Hill, probably once a month or so. Uh, if I'm being honest, probably once a week. Uh, but they, the person behind the counter, very happy they're, they're working and treating me well. But they use their little grabber thing to grab me a slice of cheese pizza, put it in a box, and then they charge the card and they turn around, they swivel the glowing rectangle, and I see 20%, 25%, and I'm thinking... I got to pay an extra dollar twenty for the guy or gal to use that little grabber and, and provide me with my pizza. My wife thinks absolutely got to tip them. I resent it. And I just find that more and more industries and spaces are expecting tips where previously it was unheard of. Mm-hmm. I've decided I would like to start accepting tips. I don't know exactly who should give them to me. As producer or yeah, what? Yeah. Producers should get well, tips Well, John now and from, Sherry are yes. right here. Let's yeah. run that idea <laughs> by us. Sherry right now. The, I don't know when I'll do it. You have Venmo? Pre, at, the, at the end of pre-show <laughs> meetings, I'll spin around the iPad and Sherry and John can decide. You're providing <laughs> quite a service and you do go above and beyond, Jake. <laughs> I have no vested interest here. <laughs> It's so true. And if anybody deserves a tip, it's Jacob and Andrew. Andrew, I mean, that's that's absolutely the the, the truth. I do get a little bit confused, though, because I don't know. Like, it used to be they would say, if you get your hair done, right, at a hair salon, and the owner does your hair, you never tip the owner. That the the owner, they're getting a lot of the profits from the thing. Well, that's gone now. I mean, I, I go to this one place, and when you, same thing, you know, when you go to pay, um, you have this the screen and and it does go up to thirty percent and you know if this person's going to do your hair again I mean it's your hair you don't want to not tip I mean you don't want to you know give her nothing or give her a lousy tip and then what you're going to have have yellow orange and green hair 
This conversation. I'm intimidated yeah. by. I'm intimidated by. <laughs> this conversation thing. reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from the AMC TV show Mad Men. This could be producer Jake having a conversation with Curly and Sherry any given day of the week, and it would go like this. It's your job. I give you money. You give me ideas. <laughs> you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. <laughs> Just came to That's, mind. That sounded eerily like John, didn't it? it really <laughs> yes. <laughs> Too close for comfort. I yeah. But I don't know. But he do, he would deserve a tip. That that's that is for sure because he does go above and beyond. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the John Curley and Sherry Elliker show this Friday. Again, another big thank you to Greg Tomlin for filling in for John. John will be back on Monday. Um, uh-oh, here comes the mailman. I'm the mailman. As you can see, I'm the mailman. Don't nobody mess with me. I'm the mailman. If you didn't know, I'm the mailman. I bring the mail to your door. Thanks so much for your letters. We will get to the letter of the day, but first let's uh, get to all the rest. Uh, true crime, Mr. T- and Mr. 253 says this, I think humans have a natural inclination to listen to stories for their own sake. They want to learn how the situation occurred in order to know how to avoid it. I think women in particular are obsessed with true crime for this reason. They want to avoid being victims. I was just talking to a female the other day, and we were talking about the news business and media, and I made the comment, you know, it's not really a news business, it's a bad news business. And I said, would it be hard to just listen to it nonstop, and it's just bad news after bad news? And she said, point blank, she goes, a lot of times I listen to the news so I can hear what areas to avoid. So this person, that validates what I've heard from other people as well. Trevor in the 206 writes, True crime novels and detective novels have been big for a long time. One of my grandfathers was an attorney and he read a true crime book or two weekly going back to the 1940s and 50s. Uh, men in Dating, Area Code 360, says, I think men are aware of how bad divorce is. The system is completely beneficial to women. Most states are no fault. The women know they can file for divorce and are going to get the kids, house, child support, and spouse support. The guy gets screwed. Seeing so many of my friends and coworkers getting financially decimated by divorce makes it hard for me to recommend to my son. Well, that's, that's a pretty grim picture there. I mean, that's I don't bleak. think that happens all the time, but I, I can see where someone might feel that way. Jason and Muckle Teo writes, professional single since my early 30s. It's because the expectations, not just where the relationship goes, but how tall you are, how much you weigh, what's your body fat index and your income. If you don't qualify in at least two of those categories, you can basically write off 80 to 90 percent of the available ladies out there. I got to tell you, Jason, I've never asked a man how much he weighed on a date. <laughs> That's not a prerequisite. What's your BMI? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but uh, Brad the Painter says this a big part of it is we communicate via written word now, and people have no problem taking screenshots and sharing the most private exchanges with the whole world if they feel slighted. How can you pitch? Woo in that environment. I looked this up. It's a phrase. Pitch woo is like oh. a. I, I hadn't heard it before either, but apparently it's a common uh, 
I don't not euphemism, but it's slaps. For, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, on the uh, editorial about movie credits and the author who stays till the bitter end after a film is over, area code three six zero writes in. Sherry, do you get up and walk out of the theater while your husband stays for the credits? Sometimes, yes. I'll say, I'm going to the ladies' room. I'll see you in 25 minutes or however long they take. Uh, 417, area code 417 says, my wife and I stay for the whole credits to laugh at people's names in the credits. That's not nice. <laughs> in the second new real live action version of The Jungle Book, there was a guy named Nacho Doctor. Oh, maybe it's like an Easter egg or something that production team puts in oh, a name like be. that every once in a while. The area code 206 writes in, well, some movies have clips in the credits. That's it, it's called a post-credits scene. And here's my life hack for that. Usually, they only occur in like big blockbusters or comic book movies. But it, when the movie finishes up, just pull out the glowing rectangle, type in the name of the film with the words "post-credit scene?" question mark after it, and that way Google will tell you if you should stick around to the end or not. Wow, that's really. <laughs> really movie geeky. Uh oh. Very. Teeny's uh, nagging us a little bit. And so, now um, it's time for the letter yeah, yeah, of the yeah. Day. We heard you, Teeny. We heard you. Okay. Um, Teeny. Oh, so, Greg, you were the guest. Uh, yeah. What was that, Jacob? <laughs> I fired Greg. that from my computer. Every time you mention Teeny on this show, I think of the Jawas from Star Wars. Oh, Teeny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't let her hear that, or uh, she'll decide <laughs> yeah, to get all competitive. True. That's and weird. a pejorative, uh, yeah. Uh, you are the guest, so please, you may do the honors of Letter of the Day. I would love to find it. Where is it in this stack of papers you sent oh, me, last, Jacob? Last uh, page. This there. is a disaster! <laughs> <laughs> oh, here it is. I found it. I found okay. it. Eureka. Okay. Teeny tiny lady in a pickle jar. So, you want letters, do you? Here's mine. How come you didn't introduce me at the start of the show to producer Greg? And I have yet to hear a single flatulence sound. <laughs> I tell you, when the cat's away, the mice will play. This show is a disaster! Exclamation point. Wow. This is a yeah. disaster. Okay, we heard you the first time. That's uh, all she wrote. That's Greg, all she wrote. thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. And um, how about this? Why don't we do? One more hour. I'm in. Good. Let's do this.